I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. We open the show with a rundown of news on the JCPA, arrogant Hollywood wokesters, Biden's likely re-election bid, Sam Bankman-Fried's missing billions, and much more in a pretty varied monologue. But then we have something really special for you. Senator Tom Cotton, the Senate GOP's leader on all matters, national security and foreign policy, just happened to be joining the show, and he gives a snap reaction to the breaking news that occurred during the broadcast that the USA has swapped WNBA pothead Brittany Griner for international arms merchant Victor Bout, known as the Merchant of Death. Uh, this is the blockbuster trade of the year for you sports fans, and the senator gives his analysis. Uh, I think this one is going to age about as well as the Vlade Divac for Kobe Bryant trade, uh, but uh, I guess it remains to be seen. Stunning stuff, and we get a, a breaking news analysis from maybe the most qualified person on the right to deliver it. Then we get his retrospective on the 2022 midterm elections before we discuss his important work blocking the awful JCPA from being included in the National Defense Authorization Act. He takes a little bit of a victory lap there and gives a good take as well. All that in the broadcast. Let's get into it. I'll start with some more JCPA updates. And part of this is you send a signal to anyone from Team Cocaine Mitch or Team uh, Amy Klobuchar or any of the people who felt that Team Ken Buck, any of the people thought it was really important to pass this uh, and were cool with it being in the National Defense Authorization Act, a bailout for establishment media journalists is something that would make my life much more difficult. And then had the indecency to tell me that it'd be good for me which is what we saw yesterday from the otherwise very, very kind man in uh, Greg Stubbe, who was kind of suggesting that this terrible bill will be good for me. It's not. It will not be. Um, but this is the, uh, the bill, the media cartel bill, the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act. Uh, and there was an attempt to put this, which would essentially be a way for uh, a establishment media and corporate media to get together and negotiate to get paid by... Um, uh, big tech. And this is something that would have a big benefit to the establishment and the corporate media. Big tech would then essentially be in a payola system where they would be paying people who were supposed to cover them. So um, which would give big tech a huge level of power uh, once the system kind of got into place. And it would leave people like me completely out of uh, a huge setback for independent media. So the naturally, because Washington's a horrible place, people attempted to assert this into our uh, National Defense Authorization Act, which is a must-pass bill that funds military defense, et cetera. So th this is the attempt from corrupt Washington, and it somewhat surprisingly failed, and I spent a great deal of time talking about it in prior shows this week because it's a big deal. Uh, and uh, it failed thanks to uh, it's uh, for uh, us, really. Right? I mean, Breitbart was the leading light on this, though there were some other people uh, left, right, and center who agreed this bill was not very good. Um, but anyway, the National Association of Broadcasters is now harassing Congress over this, and this is a big story that we have uh, up overnight at Breitbart. Um, its powerful special interests are furious because they thought uh, they were going to get a slush fund, a check, welfare for them that was going to be cut by big tech. And uh, this is a uh, the, the the NAB came out of the shadows was the way Sean Moran, our reporter, put it, and activated its extensive grassroots network to harass conservative members of Congress. It is led by leftist president and CEO, a guy named Kurt Legate, and a former senior counsel. He was former senior counsel to Senator Patrick Leahy, far left Democrat uh, from Vermont. And they're pushing local broadcasters to call their congressional offices, and they're trying to rally people to desperately get this bill placed somewhere inappropriate. Um, the bill has nothing to do with defense, but they, of course, would, were very upset when it did not make it into the National Defense Authorization Act. And that is the crux of their criticism, is that it should have been put in this defense bill. 
in a moment of desperation, Amy Klobuchar has been one of the leaders on this. I think part of her uh, effort to become president, I think she wants to create a narrative that she can be bipartisan by teaming with Republicans to pass not just terrible legislation passed with Republicans, with Democrats only, but with Republicans as well. Uh, who was So she was a leader in the Senate, and she actually claimed the bill is vital for national security. <laughs> a bailout for the establishment media is vital for national security, she said, because if we don't have a robust press, we're not going to be able to cover international issues. Aha. Genius logic. It almost works. That's how these politicians get clever. They are, they've got a clever side to them. I had to admit, I thought that was pretty far-fetched and that she pushed that one out there. Um, it seems like uh, she has dropped that, by the way. We had a story on this at Breitbart uh, News. Uh, she had said that local journalism is essential to our communities and our democracy. One-third of local papers that existed just 20 years ago will be shuttered by 2025. And while the tech platforms rake in a fortune using new content they don't pay for, local news is in crisis. Our bipartisan bill gives local news a chance to negotiate a level playing field for fair compensation for its work. Continually allowing the big tech companies to dominate policy decisions in Washington is no longer a viable option when it comes to news compensation, consumer and privacy rights, or the online marketplace. That was her argument for why it should be part of national defense. Now, Dan Gaynor, who testified on Congress as a, uh, f- a advocate for local news, stands on our show every Monday, um, said, absolutely, this will not help local news. Um, and he, we've talked about this on the show quite a bit. I won't rehash all the arguments on why it won't, but this is really going to be about big corporations uh, benefiting. And uh, big tech is going to be feel very, very comfortable with this bill because they will have a massive leverage over the journalists they cover because big tech will have to pay them a, a, a f- fraction of a fraction of what they make every year, presumably. And then they will have infinite amounts of leverage over these fledgling news organizations. So, But she said it's about our own national future and national security, but she seems to have dropped that line. Because now the move is going to be to try to get the contents into a different bill. But it's noteworthy that a left of center group of broadcasters have been activated to fight for this thing to keep it around. This is a huge lesson of Washington is you never let your guard down ever. Even if you get a victory, it can be very short lived. Um, Because when big money and big time lobbyists uh, and uh, the, the people who are willing to be so dishonest with the public that they do things like they put in a defense bill a bailout for establishment media, then they're willing to do just about anything with your tax dollars, with your rights. They're willing to do what it takes to make sure things get into law. So noteworthy that that's happening. And we'll continue to give you all the updates. But this is where if those of you who called your congressmen or senators on this one, I really can't thank you enough because it's clear this is one that because it's nonpartisan, there were convincible people. There are people who are convincible out there. There are people who are convincible still. The more people know about this bill, the less popular it's going to get. The more people learn about this bill, they know that this is a bailout for the establishment media and it gives more power to big tech. So it's the proverbial lose-lose. But for whatever reason, some people have got to be in their bonnet about getting it passed. Um, And they're working hard to get it passed. All right. So just to give you the type of example of people who like this thing, Schumer wanted this in the NDAA. A guy who said, we want an omnibus bill for the whole year to avoid the problem of a House GOP having any control. This is what he said in MSNBC yesterday on All In with, is that Chris Hayes? Boy, he's another leading intellectual light. He literally referred to it as a problem. The GOP has any control. So he wants to do all the spending it all passed for Republicans going to get the House. Of course he does. They don't normally admit these things, but yet he did admit it, which is nice. It's welcome because I like to provide clarity for my audience. 
So uh, it, it'll be it'll, it is so important during these lame duck sessions, which is in between the election and the new Congress slash presidency that we keep our eyes peeled for whatever's going on. All right. Other things are going on. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is under investigation by the House Ethics Committee. Um, sort of fun and exciting. It does not necessarily mean that uh, she did anything uh, wrong. Uh, but it has been announced that she is under investigation for uh, exceedingly lavish gifts. Specifically when she went to the Met Gala and wore that tax the rich dress. And um, the event cost reportedly $35,000 to $50,000 a seat to go to those. And you have to pay taxes, I think, on that stuff or declare it as gifts. I don't even know if you can accept those gifts. And if so, uh, you might have to pay a certain amount on. I know the exact rules are. But the rules are that uh, you can't just accept that as a elected a, a leader, as a congressperson. So it could be an in, impermissible gift. And um, so she might have had to pay anyway. And if she didn't have to pay completely, then, uh, well, because first of all, you're not allowed to accept gifts. So I, I don't think she was allowed to, I think she had to pay for herself anyway. This is an issue that comes up every once in a while um, when it's the, the, it doesn't happen very often. I try not to do this, but every once in a while, I'll find myself having a meal with someone who's elected. Uh, or someone who's on the staff, someone who's elected. And you really have to go to extreme pains to siphon off their portion of the check because of this stuff. Because they can't, you can't, I, I as a journalist, you know, I can't buy, legally speaking, uh, I can't buy my way into someone's heart with a nice steak dinner or something. So how can you just give someone a ticket to a $35,000 uh, a, 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 a plate dinner? So anyway, uh, that'll be interesting to see how that goes. I, I don't know what would uh, what will happen from it, but I always like the idea of people getting investigated who are trying their best to take advantage of the system, which clearly she was if she did accept that without uh, thinking she'd pay for it. All right, um, so Georgia fallout. One thing that was interesting that took place yesterday is we saw uh, Herschel Walker be pretty classy about his defeat. He conceded, which seems to be increasingly rare these days. And he suggested that there's no excuses in life and we're not victims. So he's moving on. Um, whereas the left, in particular, Raphael Warnock and the White House raised alarm about voter suppression. And he cited long lines, weather, and tricks. So the opposite of being classy. And this was the same talking point as we saw from Corrine Jean-Pierre in the White House. Let's play cut two, please, Mr. Zach. Thank you, Corrine. Um, the White House and the president were very vocal about Georgia's uh, new election law when it was signed in March of 2021. And the big argument from the White House was that it would suppress voting. Um, but there was record turnout in the primary, there was record turnout in the general, record turnout in the runoff, in early voting absentee ballots, and in-person voting. So is the DOJ going to drop their lawsuit against the state? I can't speak to DOJ's actions and what they're going to do. The president, though, called it um, Jim Crow in the 21st century and a blatant attack on the Constitution. So does he still see it that way? I'll say this. I'm not going to speak to the Department of Justice uh, legal uh, actions. That's something for them to uh, to speak to. Uh, what I can say, and uh, not, not going to get into specifics of your question, but you guys, you all have reported this, that there was uh, suppression. Uh, that uh, that that we saw that uh, throughout uh, through that throughout the the Georgia election. So that is something that was been reported on. So I leave it to those reports. Uh, but look, even with that, the American people came out. They came out in historic fashion fashion uh, uh, to make their voices right. loud so, and clear. Great. So so th this is entirely incoherent. So there was incredible suppression. It was Jim Crow 2.0, a disgrace to our country. And then she acknowledges there's record turnout. So the Democrats are whining even in victory. 
bad sports. It's bad sportsmanship. Bad sportsmanship. Is that even a value anymore? Because it used to be the highest value, I thought, in this country, that we didn't have so many sore losers. We're just all sore losers now. And uh, one thing that in retrospect, I'm very happy on this broadcast about how when things have not gone our way, uh, we've not done a lot of sore loserism over the, le- over the years because it's becoming difficult not to do it. There's so much peer pressure on both sides of the aisle to be a sore loser all the time whenever you don't get your way. And then now there's peer pressure to be a sore winner, I guess. You win a race, Georgia uh, Republicans did very well in Georgia. Um, Governor Kemp in particular, I think the lieutenant governor race was even was a bigger spread than Governor Kemp's race. Uh, and so th- this was a good election cycle for Georgians aside from the Senate race. For whatever reason, was it the media tax on Herschel Walker? Was it Trump's association with Herschel Walker? Whatever it was, Herschel Walker didn't quite make it on election night and then loses in the runoff. Um, the runoff, he was always going to be trailing big time, as we talked about on the show of last month. Um, so what? why is it that the Democrats need to behave in this sort of sore winner fashion? Why did Republicans cry baby and pout in 2020 and not show up for those special elections in Georgia uh, that gave both of those Senate seats to Democrats. I don't know. And I don't think it's working. I don't think it's work, but maybe it is. Maybe people feel really good about just indulging in their victimhood and uh, not about actually being productive and getting stuff done. Um, uh, But now we're seeing the Democrats, they're winning and whining. It's so unappealing. And I hope the public could hear stuff like this. Jim Crow 2.0, but look, people turned out in record fashion. Yeah, exactly. This country's not that horrible of a place. It's got its problems. But why the obsession with acting like it's such a terrible, terrible place? But I, that said, there are plenty of data points to give people, uh, make people upset. House Financial Services Chair Maxine Waters does not have a plan to subpoena Sam Bankman Freed. Uh, This is noteworthy because recall that there were some convictions for Trump uh, organization people for, I guess, committing, you know, or I I guess $1.6 million of tax fraud. (laughs) So getting convictions for that. Um, Sam Bankman-Fried, who was the darling of the crypto world, has a company called FTX. We've talked about on the show, but not in the last week or so. And it, it had been revealed that it was basically all a hoax billions of dollars have disappeared and there was a lot of uh, funky math that was had gone on that enriched Sam Bankman-Fried and uh, his friends, shall we say, to an insane degree. And now we're all, all the money's gone. It's completely gone. Um, and crypto's had a big collapse and sometimes these things really implode on themselves and the details of it are, are complex, and we have as many as we know about at Breitbart, but though it needs to have a deep investigation. Uh, but he's famously one of the top Democrat donors over the last couple election cycles. Other than, I think, Michael Bloomberg, he might be the biggest donor to Democrat candidates, including Maxine Waters, who he's been pictured with. Maxine Waters chairs the House Financial Services Committee, and she's not prepared to look into this. So, and I note this because the IRS might be coming after you because you showed because uh, you turned out um, $1,500 too little in taxes. Uh, I, I've been getting harassed by a, the franchise tax board in my state that thinks that I lived in the state in two years when I didn't, and they're trying to collect more money from me from years I didn't live in that state. Um, I, I, do, I do not have a, a 10 figure, nine, 10 figure income like Mr. Bankman-Fried, whatever he's got, 11-figure income. So, But they're still making time to go after me, it, feel, it feels like two, three times a year. I'm sure many of you are in the same boat. It, it is, so they're going after Trump's, Trump's um, real estate deals. They're going after normal citizens. But does the government have time to go after people who lose billions of dollars? One thing that's interesting is that as far as we can tell, 
There are billions of dollars that Sam Bankman-Fried was supposed to be managing that have completely disappeared. Not the stuff that was lost because value was lost. Not stuff that was cashed out. Like things that are gone and we have no explanation for it. There are millions of dollars, I'm sorry, billions of dollars completely missing. But hey, we don't have time to investigate it because we're too busy looking into 1.6 million that was missing from the Trump organization and um, you know $1,500 that, that uh, you didn't send in last year. We just spend more time on that stuff. Uh, disgraceful. And you could see that I think there's a big joke online that is him donating, you know, $40 million to Democrats is the biggest return on investment that you've ever seen because he made billions of dollars in the process without a lot of oversight. And the media has been treating him with kid gloves to say the least because he's got this puppy dog face where he looks like a sad victim of everything constantly. He doesn't do his hair. He doesn't know how to shave. He's got these weird tufts of, you know, hair sticking out of his face in random places. He doesn't have a cute girlfriend who's in on the the heist with him. <laughs> so he's like, he's this big, the media finds him to be a sympathetic character. He stole billions of dollars, it appears. And some of it is entirely missing. All right, more happy news. The Biden administration energy department has now touted a $200 million grant to a battery company primarily operating in China. Isn't this fun? It's the our biggest geopolitical foes. They're making our batteries, and we are now going to send them additional money to make batteries. $200 million of your dollars. This is not the behavior of a serious country. It's not the behavior of a country who, that considers itself remotely vulnerable. We are vulnerable. And I don't know why we don't make decisions as though there is a chance that one day we'll have deep conflict with another country. But so long as there isn't a lot of accountability, there isn't accountability at the battle at the ballot box, keep electing so many Democrats, then you're likely to see another Joe Biden administration. Um, there, it's expected Joe's going to announce that he's going to run again next month. We don't know for sure, but that's what's expected. That's what the rumor mill is saying in Washington. And family members getting asked, and they're voicing some support. So I'm optimistic that if he runs, though, we might finally get Joe to go to the border. So, uh, so far during his presidency, he's had 271 vacation days. Those aren't really vacation days, but they're days where, you know, he's at home in Delaware, not the White House. Um, but uh, he's not been the border. And everyone acknowledges it's a good idea. Even the left is saying, yeah, it's all right. It'd be a good idea for him to go. But I'm less concerned about him going to the border, which would be pro forma, than I am about Republicans trying to participate in some sort of an amnesty during the lame duck session. One person who uh, is uh, on my mind is Tom Tillis, who is very good in the JCPA, which I appreciate. But he has got a DACA amnesty that's in the works for illegal aliens, and he even acknowledges it's a long shot, but he's still pushing it. This is a Republican from North Carolina, a senator. And he built this amnesty with Kirsten Cinema, Democrat from Arizona, and that would allow millions of aliens to be amnestied, um, especially the DACA kids who are now, what, 40 now? Um, so it would provide qualified illegal aliens with green cards and eventually naturalized American citizenship. Uh, entirely unnecessary for any Republican to be doing this. Unless, of course, the establishment got to you. Um, Tucker Carlson, a good line about this, saying that you're hearing a lot about threats to democracy. This is an actual threat to democracy. This is an actual effort to disenfranchise American voters. It's an attempt to replace their vote with a new electorate. It's entirely true. That's what this is. And you're not supposed to call it great replacement or whatever. It's replacement theory. I, I don't even know what it is. Try to tune out the noise. Of course, the effort is to re replace Democrat voters with new Americans that are imported. Democrats aren't interested in having children. So you got to make the existing children. Uh, uh, hold on. I'm asking for media matters, so context. Aren't as interested in having children. Let's put it that way. And my evidence is they can't stop talking. The left can't stop talking about how human beings are destroying the planet. 
I have an example from today where the UN chief Gutierrez was saying that a humanity is a weapon of mass extinction. This is the latest in a line of people who are out there, even though he's not Democrat, but he's on the left, who are saying the biggest threat to the world are human beings because of climate change. So that's a left-wing value at this moment. And um, so obviously they're not going to be prioritizing having new humans as much. So how are they going to get their voters? They're going to have to bring them into the country. Duh. And a lot of Republicans who are in the pocket of big business are okay with this too because the more people who get imported, the it drives down the wages for the major corporations. They don't have to pay as much. All right, 866-95-PATRIOT, if anything so far has caught your eye. A couple other things I want to point out. Um, I've got, um, I'm going to cover a couple of um, political stuff. I've got some Hollywood stuff. Um, the Republican lawmakers, including Marco Rubio, who's been excellent on China, has warned that the Inflation Reduction Act may fund China's Uyghur slavery. So that's not only does it not reduce inflation, it may actually send money to uh, a, a, a companies that import solar panels or make solar panels to uh, in China by Uyghur slaves. So this is part of uh, a green energy uh, portion of the Inflation Reduction Act. But it provides, according to Rubio Cotton, Chris Smith of New Jersey, Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin, who are in the Congress, in a letter that billions of dollars of taxpayer-funded subsidies of the solar industry. And that industry includes people who make their panels in, uh, in areas where there's Uyghur concentration camps. And note that the People's Republic of China is now making... I think 80% of the solar panel manufactured in the world, at least if you look at the entire supply chain. So the solar industry is, a lot of it is a slush fund back to China. And I don't say this is a wildly anti-solar person. I think it's way overrated, uh, but I'm a solar panel owner myself. I might be a solar panel leaser. I think I'm, it's a complicated process with solar panels. I got them on my roof, okay? But, a lot of this just goes, helps China. And that's why uncoupling ourselves in this way is something we should do in short order. Um, Lee Zeldin said he's not going to challenge Ronna McDaniel for the RNC chair. Uh, he, her victory is pre-baked by design. Uh, I, I think that's probably true, but kind of sad. Um, Ronna McDaniel comes on the show and she does acknowledge us from time to time. She conveniently does seem to show up when she's got something that we mutually agree on to talk about. Um, but is she's a good fundraiser and she can speak to the anti-establishment and is someone who's liked very much by the moneyed establishment. So she was almost certainly going to win again because the goal is not winning elections. The goal is fundraising. I learned this very early on when Michael Steele, who's now a never Trump fixture in MSNBC, um, when he was the Republican uh, RNC chair and the Republicans won a huge victory when he was the chair and they kicked him out because he wasn't a good fundraiser. So the goal is fundraising. So so don't be misguided here. It's not about winning elections. It's about fundraising. And if the donor establishment thinks Ron is the best at that, then, you know, that's how it's going to go. Um, Harmeet Dillon, who's a regular on Tucker's show and is a Twitter personality, is running. Um, I, I probably agree with her ideas more. Um, I don't know how viable, though, of a candidate she is. Uh, I'm sure that um, she'll be invited on the show if that candidacy becomes a, a serious one. Uh, but I was kind of hoping Zeldin would run. I, I like races. I like primaries. I like challenges. In general, it's good for people. It keeps people sharp. These are powerful positions, and they should not be anointed. So um, that was, I think, and it's to my point. For me, if I was going to put uh, people in charge of the RNC, it would be people who performed at an outsized level uh, in the most recent election, which didn't go well. And Lee Zeldin would be very top of the list. 
Because recall, Zeldin becoming as close as he did in New York got a lot of congressional seats to flip to Republican because it made it exciting for Republicans to show up to the polls, vote in New York, which typically is sort of a bleak proposition, and all these seats flipped red. So that's the type of stuff you would look for if I was choosing. The other person I would want, other than Zeldin, would be Mike Garcia out of California, who I mentioned virtually every show who ran a mail-in ballot effort in Los Angeles County to win a seat where he was probably Democrat registration gap plus one or two or three, and he won by six points because he ran a, first of all, he's a really good congressman, and second of all, he ran a super effective mail-in voting campaign. That, to me, matters more than how many checks you can round up. But we're not talking in those terms. We're talking about uh, uh, just ability to fundraise, I guess. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not a Rana hater by any means. I just think that elections are, are useful, very useful. All right. Uh, 1100 New York times employees are going to go in a 24 hour strike. I, I'm really looking forward to this because do you know how much this will affect the world? Not at all. It will mean nothing because everything that's done at the New York times is also done elsewhere. There is, it is totally redundant. They're the most comprehensive, and occasionally they have the best coverage on non-political stuff because they have, um, you know, they're probably worth a few few billion dollars, which is an amazing thing for a media outlet. Um, but the, the the we will not miss them at all, and and that will be very fun because that will happen, and then we will not miss them. So I'm really looking forward to this strike whenever it takes place because we don't need the New York Times; it is not necessary for America. All right, I will close with a couple of Hollywood items um, because one of them is a question I wanted to prompt uh, to the audience. So um, uh, first of all, the, uh, the Rock has a movie out called Black Adam, which is a, a DC comic movie, and it is going to lose a lot of money. It's making a lot of money, but it's going to lose a lot because it's very expensive to, to make these things. So it's a uh, $165 million domestic gross, 385 global gross. So estimated it's going to be at least a $100 million flop, um, which is amazing because The Rock was seen as one of the few bankable stars left in, in Hollywood. Um, uh, Dizzy CEO Bob Iger, who is going to save us from all the wokeness, right? I mean, we all had our hopes up for a minute because Bob Chepik is out. He has said that those of us in a position of influence need to shape the culture and have an extra responsibility to push gun control. So he was speaking out about gun control responsibility this week. So he's talking about Sandy Hook. Not, should we have better security protocols or armed people in the schools to protect our children? It should be, how do we get the guns? How do we get the guns from the law abiding? That's the main thing because that freak from Sandy Hook was uh, certainly not going to be controlled by any laws that the rest of us human beings have. But that's okay. He politicizes it. And it's just a reminder that he was the one who created the woke culture over at Disney. So he's not going to fix it over there. Um, oh, wow, this is interesting. Uh, Joe Rogan is now calling out The Rock for steroid use. Do you guys think The Rock could be on steroids? Do you think it's a possibility? It was interesting because I think I missed this news cycle, but there's this character online called the Liver King, and he has, you know, rippling muscles and he never puts a shirt on. And he attributes it to eating, um, he attributes it to eating, you know, a bunch of raw organ meat. That's why he's the Liver King. That he, and there's lots of uh, videos of him like eating a whole beef heart online. And that's how he, eating bull testicles. As it turns out, he was full of bull, uh, I can't say it, I can't say it, it's a family show. But it wasn't the bull testicles, it was the bull, S-H-I-T, that's what it was. Um, so, but he is, some internet sleuths, brilliantly, brilliantly, these internet sleuths uh, figured out that the liver king, in fact, was on steroids which is anyone who saw a picture of him knew he was on steroids just by having common sense. Uh, but I wonder, I wonder now, if now that we're, uh, we're me tooing the steroid users, I wonder if this is going to happen to The Rock. 
I've got a feeling The Rock isn't au naturel. That's just a guess. He's uh, he's he's quite large, and he's he might be using some enhancements. All right, uh, everyone's favorite celebrity, Lizzo, the most beautiful woman in the world, dropped another beauty bomb and said that she wants to normalize abortions. This is the key to success in Hollywood. Just what is the most radical left-wing position can you can you say to pander the rest of the people? So Lizzo wants to normalize abortions. No longer safe, legal, and rare. We want them normal. Bob Iger sees his responsibility at, at, as the head of Disney to come after guns, do gun control. Um, but this brings me to my point. This is the question I had for for today. I have two questions for you who want to chime in in the audience. First of all, I want to get any midterm reflections that you've got because midterms are now officially over. And I, I, I want to know what your overall thinking really is. Now that you've had a chance to, to think about it, what are the main takeaways? 866-95-PATRIOT for that. The other question I had for you is do you care about what's going on in Hollywood right now? Because some of these stories perform pretty well for us, traffic-wise or Breitbart. Uh, but I see these these things, these stories, and I can't tell you how much of a outpouring online there was over this comment from Jennifer Lawrence, who's the actress, maybe best known for Hunger Games, but also lots of other stuff and a lot of other flops. Like she makes movies and no one goes and, and sees them. And she just announced that she was the first ever uh, first ever action star. We've got a clip of this. Let's play this. This is cut four. Uh, for Sarah, female action star. Cut four. I remember when I was doing Hunger Games, nobody had ever put a woman in the lead of an action movie yeah. because it wouldn't work. We were told girls and boys can both identify with a male lead, but yeah. boys cannot identify with a female lead. Oh, absolutely. And it just makes me so happy every single time I see a movie come out that just blows through every single one of those beliefs and proves that it is just a lie to keep certain people out of the movies, to keep certain people in the same positions that they've always been in. And it's just amazing. And of course, this is so ignorant, it almost blows the mind. Uh, The examples people have been throwing out is Sigourney Weaver starring Ridley Scott's Alien 1979, James Cameron's Aliens 1986, Linda Hamilton, Terminator 2, 1991, and then Nolte, John Nolte, Professor Breitbart, made a list of other stars, female stars of action movies. Mila Jovovich, Michelle Rodriguez, Demi Moore, Uma Thurman, Gina Carano, Angelina Jolie. And the list goes on and on of all these women who starred in action movies. Um, and how Hollywood can create the, and I think she's from Kentucky, like how they could take these people. Oh, and Nolte's favorite, Pam Greer. Um, I, they can take all these people. And just ruin them and give them the arrogance that they can go out and just say such ignorant things. And what, for whatever reason, this really irked people. And I got uh, so many comments on this and people were emailing it to me. And there's a big outpouring of interest in uh, this ignorant, rich blonde woman saying that there is I'm, I was the first female action star when I was in a movie in 2012, despite all this history. Uh, And this does seem to be something that I was wondering for this audience, type of audience who gets up early, um, December, going to work, turning on the news radio. uh, Do you guys care about what these ignorant actresses are saying? Because there was a time where I was for sure that you did. And then now I feel like uh, maybe you don't. But I haven't asked in a while because we've been in such political news cycles pretty constantly since I've been running the show. So, but you would think that this would be the type of thing where you guys would not care, but maybe you're offended by it. And if you are, I actually want to hear from you either direction. What do you think of some of these celebrities right now? Do you think they have any power? Are you laughing at them? Are you at that point? Have you tuned them out? Because I will say online on social media, sometimes sometimes these stories perform pretty well traffic-wise. People do click on them. They are interested. Maybe it's a train wreck because, you know, these are such terrible arguments. You like to see people like Nolte dunk on them, which is really fun. But it is amazing how Hollywood just destroys people's brains. People come out there and they're fed so much into their egos, I guess. They're capable of saying just such silly stuff. But does that make a difference to you? I'm curious about that. (laughs) 
My guest is Senator Tom Cotton, the perfect person to comment on the Brittany Griner trade for Victor Bout, the merchant of death. And we also get his thoughts on the 2022 midterms and the JCPA, where he was the leader on the right in the Senate side from blocking it. There's a lot of people that uh, really were with him on this who deserve a lot of credit as well, but he was maybe the face of it uh, on the Republican side in the Senate. And so it's good to talk to him about all the details of what came out in the end in the NDAA versus what the left wanted. Uh, and I think uh, you're going to enjoy hearing his analysis on that after the breaking news. Let's hear it. Senator, I had you on the show because I wanted to talk to you about the JCPA and you've really taken the lead in the Senate. But there is breaking news that I certainly want your commentary on. Uh, apparently, the United States has traded in a one to one swap WNBA player, uh, Brittany Griner, for a guy named Victor Bout, who is one of those deadly people on the planet, knows the merchant of death and has worked very hard to try to kill Americans. And um, uh, it's something that I have to do the squinty eye thing where I rub my eyes to believe that this is true. But apparently this is what's going on in our country. Uh, do you have a snap reaction to this? It's an incredible appeasement of Vladimir Putin in Russia um, to release an arms dealer known as the merchant of death. Victor Bout has the blood of hundreds, if not thousands of innocents around the world in his hands um, in exchange for Brittany Griner. Don't get me wrong. Brittany Griner was wrongly detained and used as a negotiating shit with the Biden administration. Uh, and, and we should have been engaged in efforts to try to secure her release. But to, to, cha- to exchange her who, to be fair, did violate the laws of a foreign country to which she was traveling in return for one of the world's most notorious arms dealers is folly to the greatest degree. What does Joe Biden think is going to happen now? Every time someone wants to get their arms traffickers or their drug dealers out of uh, American prison, all they have to do is arrest an American on some trivial charge and sentence them to nine years, and Joe Biden's going to come running with the keys to the prison to release people who are justifiably in prison. Uh, This is a shocking, a shocking decision that is only going to endanger more Americans all around the world and will be a is a massive victory for Vladimir Putin. It is also noteworthy, of course, that we were told that it was actually the Republicans that are in the pocket of Putin. And then it's just a this is yet another Democrat administration who's making life easier for him. Um, uh, But I was thinking about this saga because as it played out, my gut reaction was the same as just about everyone else's when Griner got detained and arrested, that this is clearly a political thing. Uh, she shouldn't have been arrested. This is clearly Russia trying to manipulate us, and we need to do everything we can to get her back. Uh, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized that she did break the law, and both Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are famous for locking up nonviolent drug offenders here in the United States. They're not trying to spring all the nonviolent drug offenders here in the United States. Uh, it, so uh, why is it that we're supposed to trade arms dealers for nonviolent drug offenders who broke laws of another country? Uh, it, it just doesn't seem like the juice is worth the squeeze here, Senator, for lack of a better expression. Well, uh, again, the the, on, the only thing that will happen as a result of this terrible decision is to encourage uh, rogue dictators like Vladimir Putin or, or Xi Jinping or others to detain more Americans so they can get their arms dealers uh, and their spies and their drug traffickers out of prison. Um, again, Brittany, I think Brittany Griner was arrested and, and charged and convicted to a long sentence in part out of political negotiations, but she did break the law of the country to which she was traveling. It may have been trumped up charges. It may have been a political pretext, but to to trade an arms dealer known as the merchant of death for someone who did, in fact, violate the laws of the country to which she's traveling it is a terrible decision. It's only going to imperil more Americans who at this very moment are in countries whose leaders may think, gosh, if I arrest Alex Marlowe on a trumped up jaywalking charge and sentence him to 10 years in prison, I can get my buddy or my spies or my arm dealers out of American prisons where they are justly sentenced to long prison terms. 
You know, Senator, I think I've, as Editor Breitbart, I think I've actually revoked my own China and Mexico privileges because we report so critically in those countries that, and I'm not convinced the government would do what they could to get me out of there if they did detain me for trumped up charges. So I, I think that uh, that's at least how I'm uh, operating. Uh, but in, in, in all seriousness, uh, do you think that people will die as a result of this decision? Um, I, I think they will, because again, Victor found is known as the merchant of death for a reason. It's not like he's going to retire to the Black Sea and peacefully live out his uh, golden years <laughs> in a quiet retirement. I mean, Vladimir Putin wanted him out for a reason. And I also think that more Americans will be detained, in some cases unjustly yes. detained in the future, because they realize that Joe Biden, at least, as long as he's president, will give away the farm in return for any American citizen. Look, we should be working to get all American citizens who are held hostage or have unjustifiably long sentences that are clearly the result of, of political decisions. Yes. But we can't be releasing people who are arms dealers and drug traffickers and spies who have violated our nation laws, who have gone through due process in our justice system and been sentenced to prison in America. And overall, a very tough day for nonviolent drug offenders detained in the United States who are probably scratching their heads going, why didn't I just get detained in Russia? It would have been much better for me. Well, and remember, like, as far as I know, again, this is breaking news. As far as I know, they, uh, they did not secure the release of Paul Whelan, uh, who's a former Marine, who's also been detained. Oh, wow. And, and, Good point. And, and, uh, and his detention uh, appears to be totally unjustified. You know, anytime a country like Russia or China or Iran arrests and accuses an American of spying, it's almost guaranteed that they weren't spying, that they're just being used as a negotiating chip to get more leverage against the United States. So, again, it's a breaking news story, but the headlines I've seen uh, in the last few minutes suggest that Paul Whelan was not released. Yeah, I'm reading an Associated Press report right now saying that Whelan was not released. That is correct. So uh, amazing. Still in Russian custody. Uh, why do you think that would be? You don't think that uh, Putin wouldn't have given up both for uh, Victor Bauta? It sounds like he would have. So again, I, I, it just seems, this seems colossally like a huge mistake. It really does. Yeah, and, and again, if, if you look at the two cases, Brittany Griner, I, I think, didn't dispute that she violated the laws of Russia. Now, you can say that those laws are unfair, that she was targeted for politicized enforcement of those laws, but she doesn't dispute that. Paul Whelan completely has always disputed that he has acted as a spy. And invariably, when rogue nations like China and Russia and Iran accuse Americans of being spies, they're not spies. They're just being used as negotiating leverage. Yeah, uh, is uh, fascinating stuff and uh, very fortuitous to have Senator Tom Cotton on for this breaking news event. Uh, uh, not fortuitous that we have Joe Biden in the White House capable of doing these things, which I think embarrassed the whole country. And I think will uh, it, I think Senator's correct. I think it's going to imperil a lot of lives going forward. Um, Senator, there's a couple of big conversation topics I want to get to with our remaining time today. And first of all, I, I would like your perspective, just sort of a 30,000 foot now that the dust has settled from the midterm elections and uh, with no more races yet to be decided. Uh, what are your overall takeaways? I, I imagine you, you see some silver linings in it, not our strongest performance for the conservative movement that we would have expected, but still some good things. Uh, what do you, do you think are the key points heading towards 2024, those of note? Well, Alex, it's certainly disappointing that we didn't gain in the Senate. In fact, we went backwards one in the Senate. Um, but we did have victories. You know, we won the House, a smaller majority than expected, but a win is still a win. And I'm sure Joe Biden feels the same way about losing the House of Representatives and Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats there protecting him from all kinds of scrutiny. Uh, we had a lot of governors uh, who performed very well, like Brian Kemp in Georgia, Ron DeSantis in Florida, Mike DeWine uh, in Ohio, Kim Reynolds in Iowa, Greg Abbott in Texas. And, and those Republicans uh, who won those gubernatorial elections, I think we can take a lesson from because there are different kinds of Republicans with different priorities. They come from different wings of our party. They all won smashing uh, victories, partly because they had strong records that had delivered for their people, partly because they were looking forward to the future on what more they could deliver. Um, I think too many of our candidates kind of dwelled in the past and, and focused on the grievances um, and uh, the perceived injustices of the past, as opposed to focusing on the problems that our voters face right now with rising crime and fentanyl killing our children, 
kids being indoctrinated, not educated in schools, parents struggling to make in need, struggling to buy Christmas presents because of inflation. The Republicans who perform best in this election were those who are focused on those problems and focused on future, on solutions for the future. And I think that's what we need to take away from it. Um, we can win very big, very big uh, elections in 2024 if we take those lessons away from it. There's some technical stuff, you know, like I've heard a lot of people this week talk about how we have to accept mail-in voting, we have to accept ballot harvesting. Um, that's true, we do. You know, we used to be very good at that, the Republican Party, uh, until we abandoned it over the last few years. But, you know, um, Brian Kemp was able to win a large margin against uh, Stacey Abrams in Georgia. Uh, under the rules of the road, um, and about 200,000 fewer people voted for Herschel Walker than voted for Brian Kemp. So it's partly it, it's uh, mastering the electoral rules, whatever we think of those rules, but there's also an element of having broad appeal based on forward-looking solutions. And one thing that is noteworthy, I think, if you look where Republicans had success, it, it's places where Republicans had a chance to, to govern. And I, I am a populist, nationalist, conservative, anti-establishment, and, and people know my ideology who listen to the show, but I, I've become increasingly appreciative of people who are just effective at what they do. And I don't think that Governor Abbott in Texas and Governor DeSantis in Florida and Governor Kemp in Georgia all necessarily agree with me on every issue or agree with each other on every issue. But we're seeing a pattern that they governed and they governed effectively and then they won by large margins. And that seems to be something that maybe is more important than whatever is your perceived candidate quality or whatever is every viewpoint you have, whether or not it fits uh, whatever is popular on right wing Twitter that day. It, it seems like that's got to be a huge part of what the focus is. Who are who is setting an agenda and getting the job done? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit easier for a governor to do that because they're running in much the state easier as the chief, yes. chief executive in the state. I know there's some talk about how you know congressional Republicans need to have more of agenda, but it's to your point, Alex. I mean, congressional Republicans all represent different states or they represent different districts, and they're going to have slightly different agendas. Uh, you know, what's a priority in Arkansas may not be a priority in Maine or in Alaska. The way we view a certain issue that's a priority in all states may be different from how uh, in Arkansas than how they view it in Nevada, for instance. So it's a little bit different in congressional races. You know, each uh, candidate for Senate and for House is going to be running on their ideas, their agenda, their plans for their district, and that's going to look slightly different. You know, that's just the nature of having a, a representative legislature uh, versus a governor running for uh, to uh, lead in his state, and obviously and certainly for a president. Um, yeah. You, you be, a party begins to get that kind of unified um, uh, agenda once a presidential nominee emerges in the, uh, in the general election and then certainly behind a new president. Yeah, and this is um, why I do think that ballot harvesting and mail-in voting, mastering that is really important, and I keep citing what went on just north of L.A., Mike Garcia's district, where he really embraced getting those mail-in votes in and uh, performed much better than he did last time in a in a district that got, that got redistricted to be more blue than it was. Uh, those are the examples people need to look for. But I don't want to I don't want I, I to uh, run out of time with you, Senator, before I ask about the JCPA. Uh, first of all, uh, congrats to you on some somehow still getting it delayed uh, among just a handful of other leading lights in Washington. Uh, but tell me why you feel like this bill was a problem. Why try to include it in the NDAA was a problem. And were you as surprised as I was that uh, we were able to be successful here? So um, the JCPA uh, does try to address a genuine problem in the marketplace. Uh, I should Maybe I should say two genuine problems, Alex. One is commercial, one is ideological. The commercial problem is you have two giant tech companies, Google and, and Facebook, who are often exploiting the content of hardworking reporters around the country, oftentimes for smaller outlets. You know, we have some great local daily papers in Arkansas, the Texarkana Gazette, the Hot Spring Sentinel Record, the El Dorado News Time, the Russell Courier, the Conway Log Cabin Democrat. Uh, they obviously don't have the market power to negotiate rates with Facebook and with Google, who often just, in effect, rips them off. Um, the same thing can happen with digital media companies who have more of a kind of an ideological tinge to them, say a Breitbart or Federalist or what have you. Um, it's the same commercial problem. But with those latter companies, you add the element of ideology. 
Um, and the idea that you can create an alliance uh, of news businesses that have an exemption from the cartel that will then be able to exclude explicitly center rights organizations like a Breitbart and who knows who else, I find very troubling. Um, so before anything like this happens, I, I think we need to have assurances that any such or association would treat all comers on a neutral content and viewpoint um, independent basis. That they can't just say to Breitbart, we don't like your news coverage, we don't like your perspective. So while we're taking care of the traditional daily newspapers like the Jonesboro Sun, uh, we're going to exclude you. And until we can reach that kind of understanding, I think the JCPO, JCPA should be a non-starter. Uh, and it certainly shouldn't have been used as the Democrats were trying to use it as a negotiating shit for ending the COVID vaccine mandate on our troops. Because that's what was going Impulsive. on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, it'd be one thing if the Democrats had some bad idea for defense saying, you know, they wanted to cut our nuclear forces. Or, you know, Chuck Schumer wanted to, you know, have a bunch of pork for Fort Drum in upstate New York. That'd be one thing because it's it's talking about core defense matters. But no, the, the Democrats were trying to bargain away a core defense policy in return for one of their totally extraneous domestic priorities. And it just goes to show um, how unserious they are about our national security. Uh, so were you surprised that this was able to, uh, the, the, that this didn't end up in the NDAA? I, I thought this thing was a done deal, uh, and then all of a sudden it wasn't. Yeah, you know, it, uh, it wasn't just the JCPA, Alex. Um, we left town last week. Um, with the, the central part of the, of the defense bill, all the defense provisions that we worked on in the Armed Services Committee all year, basically being cooked and ready to go. Um, and I think what happened is the Democrats last weekend began to realize that they may not get some ma massive blowout spending bill that they can put every one of their uh, other priorities on. And they panicked, and they began to demand that all their bills get added on. You know, Joe Manchin wanted his so-called permitting reform bill added. Um, there's a bill about Pregnant, pregnant workers and potential discrimination they face. Um, there was um, two or three other bills. Um, trying to debate all those bills, have them in committee and examine their sure. merits and you know amend them and then bring them to the floor. But the idea that we would allow the NDAA to turn into a Christmas tree for Democratic's uh, Christmas wish list priorities was preposterous. So I put my foot down very firmly Sunday afternoon, as soon as I understood that dynamic, uh, I, I think it empowered the leaders in both uh, houses of the Congress, because the way this works is once the defense bills are cooked, the defense provisions are cooked, it kind of goes on to the leadership of the two chambers to see if there's any negotiations on other matters that are necessary to get the votes to pass the defense bill, as we have for every uh, year for the last 60 years. But by uh, by Tuesday, I and a few others, like I said, had really put our foot down. And I, I think uh, Senator McConnell and uh, Congressman McCarthy just said that this is not going to happen. You either uh, give us a clean defense bill or the bill dies. And I think that Pelosi, Pelosi and Schumer caved on it, and not just on the JCPA, but on the permitting bill and on the uh, um, on all the other bills that were that the Democrats were trying to attach. Yeah, to and it. the VAX mandate. So, uh, so it's a, some some yeah, good the wins already. The they caved on the VAX mandate because they know it's unpopular and, and they don't want to take the heat for it. But that, that is a central defense measure that should be in the defense bill. Sure, you know, Joe, good point. Joe, Man Joe Manchin's permitting reform, which is the payoff for his vote for the massive spending bill this summer, should not be in the defense bill. Yeah, and it was. It's a clear example of the shamelessness that is occasionally. Uh, spotted in Washington where Amy Klobuchar was trying to make the case that a bailout for media outlets was essential to national defense. She, she did say that she's kind of backed off of that, but she did. She was making that case earlier this week. Well, it doesn't pass the straight face test again. Like if Senator Klobuchar thinks that she's got a good bill and she can get 60 votes for it, and 218 in the house, we can go through that process until it yes. gets the changes that I, that we discussed earlier on the merits. I can't support that, but to claim that, you know, <laughs> Having letting you know media companies form a cartel to negotiate with Facebook and big tech is somehow central to our national security. Just doesn't pass the laugh test. Exactly right, Senator Tom Cotton. I really enjoy these conversations, and thank you for the quick reactions on the Victor Brout Griner situation and your work on the JCPA. Well, very well done. All right, thank you, Alex. Merry Christmas to all your listeners, and Merry Christmas to you as well. We'll be right back. American made 
That is today's broadcast. Thanks very much to Zach Jones and Greg Eben, our producers, as well as Robert Marlowe, who helps me pick topics. And we'll catch you next time.